Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us. My name is Peter Cheeseman and you are listening to the Deer Tracking Services podcast. In today's episode we'll be finding out about the Bavarian Mountain Hound Society of Great Britain and we'll be talking to the chairman Minna Borsuk, have I pronounced it right Minna? Yep. Who will be telling us about herself how she became involved in the society, everything it's involved in, what it does for the breed, and why it has become such a popular choice of deer tracking dog. And before we go on much further, I must apologise if people hear like a whooshing wind noise in the background. We are actually live in the middle of a forest with all the forestry distractions around us, which um, is the only way we seem to be able to get together to do this podcast. Anyway... Hi Mina and thank you for agreeing to come along to us today and talk about yourself and the society and we're really looking forward to it and finding out a lot more. Thank you Peter, really appreciate it. Um, it it'll be interesting and I, it, it's, it's a good thing what you're doing. So I was, I was born in Finland many, many years ago. Uh, I moved to UK when I was 27 years old. Um, I grew up with my parents being, especially my father being a no-nonsense person and from a uh, farming background. So uh, it was taught, I was taught at a very young age that if, you're, if I wanted something in this life, I will need to go and get it myself. Uh, we lived in a small village of 4,000 people and used, um, because the Finnish people have got this connection with nature and lots of... Um, outdoor activities we always used to go foraging um, in the autumn for berries and mushrooms which I absolutely hated when I was growing up <laughs> um, but now miss um, and doing um, it was always happened at weekends when you wanted to do something else but there you go uh, my good parents actually had a dairy farm um, and I spent a lot of my spare time over there, um, looking after the cows as well as pigs, learning about nature and animal husbandry. So I've always, I've grown up in this sort of outdoorsy kind of lifestyle. And I suppose it was a very happy time um, thinking back. And it's, it's kind of like it was a semi-rural life between the woods and the farms. And I've always found the forest very calming and mentally healing environment obviously apart from the mosses in Finland in the summer which is enough to put anybody off. <laughs> I guess they're quite large as well aren't they? Yeah yeah I mean if you think about the population of Finland um, which is five million ish um, the country is three times three times size of the UK um, and you've got five million people living in there you've got a lot of space you've got a lot of outdoor opportunities you've got lakes um, and you have this freedom to roam so everybody is able to go within limitations so you can't go closer to somebody's property than 100 meters you can't go into somebody's backyard but you can go anywhere in the woods to go foraging you can go walking you can go swimming in any lake you want to um wow. it's, it's the freedom to roam um, and it's it's sort of part of the Finnish culture. I should think you miss that living over here, that part of it. Don't yeah, you? I do. Uh, I I do like that when you can just take off. It doesn't matter where, 
you know, you don't have to worry about whose land you're on or are you are you interfering with somebody as long as you keep your distance from people's homesteads. It's just like a, a mutual respect almost. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. So it, it's good. Um, but um, yeah, that's that's my kind of background. Um, so so that's. You know, your lifestyle, if you like, in your early days and, yeah, and what yeah. you did. So how did that evolve and how how did you get into the world of like hunting and tracking with dogs? How did that part of your life evolve? Well, I I wasn't allowed to have a dog until I was 15 years old and, and kind of capable of looking after it myself. Um, and then another restriction came in. It, it's not allowed to molt, so no hairs. So... <laughs> I ended up with the Bedlington Terrier. Oh wow! Um, and it was a she was a lovely, lovely girl. Um, and then I we found out that she's actually got um, a health condition, and um, she was a carrier. It is it affected the kidneys. Um, it's copper toxosis or something like that. I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Basically, her having this health condition kind of got me interested in health of dogs and animals in, you know, in general. Um, the, the reason why she, she got this condition was due to um, quite a lot of inbreeding to get rid of another health issue in the breed. And then it ended up with this one. So... She she basically got me interested in health in dogs. Um, I mean, she passed away at good old age of 14. And um, I got my first dachshund when I was 20 years old. Um, and he was a standard long, um, long-haired dachshund. And that got me interested in hounds in general and working dogs. Um, I wasn't interested in anything to do with hunting, anything to do with tracking whatsoever. But because of being an, like um, coming under FCI rules in Europe, if I wanted to do what we call making your dog up, it had to have a working certificate okay, and pass a I, working test. Sorry to interrupt. Can I just show you FCI? It, what does that stand for exactly? It's oh, I can't pronounce it. Federation Zoologic. International, so it's the equivalent of the UK Kennel Club oh, right, in okay. Europe. And any hound, any working breed, has to pass a working test in order to become a champion. And it will also have to be evaluated confirm- confirmationally, confirmationally to become a working champion. So I had to. That got me interested in working my accent because I had to get a working test for him and a pass. Um, so those days, there was no internet. <laughs> you, you had to read about it or speak to people and go and attend these events. And, I lost art. Yeah. Um, so I did. And um, we did, I think we did about two or th- two, three tr- test tracks um, before I, I then got wind of a test day. So I thought, I'll, I'll enter him. Whatever, it's it's practice, if nothing else. So it consists of short, short um, um, test, and then it's an 800-meter track, age 24 hours. So 
he, no, sorry, 12 hours. The, the first one's 12 hours. The next one's 24 hours. Um, so seeing how he enjoyed it and how he worked it and his ability to solve the problems on the track, mm -hmm. that did it for me. I was sold. That, that was it. And then that was my, I was like, if I have hounds, they've got to work. They're going to be trained to work. Um, he later on, then he became a Finnish champion on tracking. And he also became a champion in Go to Crown, which is the artificial fox hunting where they go. There's an artificial go to ground. They go in there and bay at the fox <coughs> for. Is that where they have like a simulated pipe or tunnel yeah. in the ground? Right, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And there's fox at the end. They got to move the fox along the along the pipes. Um, there's no animals get harmed, um, but from maybe a few um, spats. But um, yeah, it's it is it's the tenacity of a Jackson when mm. it is holding a fox at bay. Oh God, it, it's just. Something to, something to behold, I think. Yeah, for a little dog like that, and he does it, it's, it's amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he got me into working working my dogs um, and the pleasure that it kind of gives, gave me to see them problem solve and mm. achieve. And you you kind of like participant. It's the dog doing the work. And you're just there as a, you're observing what they're doing. But you're part of the team in, the, yeah, in the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the connection is amazing. So then after that, it was, it, it was Daxons. Nothing else would do it. Um, and I got into breeding. Um, I probably read, read about seven litres. They all the puppies as much as possible went to work in homes, wow. um, and whatever I kept behind, they all got trained to work and and become, um, you know, able to track wounded game. I mean, we end. I think I ended up with five standard longs. Uh, oh, sorry, four, five standard longs and one miniature long, um, and they all were trained to work to track deer. Um, and the oldest one, my first one, he was also involved in driving deer. Oh, right. Um, wow. He, 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 he got his first quarry over, which was a, a, a raccoon dog. And since then, after that incident, he, he wasn't interested in cold scent. It was live all the way. So, so. driving deer, that's, is that for the format of driven hunting, which yeah. happens in Finland? Yeah, also? yeah. Okay. And it's the only breed allowed to do driven hunting because of the height. So they can't they can't actually physically harm the deer. It's just driven to the guns. So if I remember rightly, if my brain serves me correctly, am I right to think that there's like a height restriction of about 23 centimetres yes. or something? Yeah. yeah. So you can't, um, a dog can't, like, the, like my, my current Daxons would not be allowed to do it because they're too tall. But um, yeah. And I guess the idea behind that is if they're driving a deer or pushing a deer through, that the deer doesn't necessarily feel that threatened by it and yeah. that comes out a lot more slowly. Yes. So yeah. it's enabled for the hunter to take the shot. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's not... The, the dog um, can't actually physically harm the deer. It's just pushing it forward um, 
to to the direction of the gums and, and that's it so did you ever have because of your your breeding that you did over there did you um have any trouble finding stud dogs or because of the circle of friends and environment that you're in, that that wasn't an issue? No, because, I mean, yeah, yes and no. It depended what you were after. I mean, there was, because any dog that um, was, or stud dog that I was going to use that was from, uh, like, reputable stud dog owner or breeder, they would have done their health testing and they would have done the working test etc um so it wasn't difficult um per se but there is obviously like with any any breed you 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 do get people who don't really care Mm -hmm. um and then it can become an issue but when when the actually the kennel club stipulates that this is a working breed um, you have to take and pass a working test. You have to take and pass the health test before you're actually allowed to register the puppies. Okay. Then it it makes it easier mm-hmm. to find good dogs because they're all kind of recorded and you have you have the the option to choose or like a bigger pool to choose from and you know they're Official records all are there for you and um, everybody to see, really. Mm-hmm. So um, it wasn't that difficult. Oh, that's but, good. Yeah, yeah. So you, you've had a successful little breeding campaign and you're getting more and more involved. How did that then lead you on to the world of judging and such like? Um, I didn't do judging in Finland. It was only after when I moved over here. Um I got interested in um, the, I I was showing them all because there was no, in the UK they're not recognised, Dachshunds aren't recognised as working dogs. Um, And then by off chance I kind of got wind of the Bavarian Mountain House Society (laughs) um, and decided to attend the the day. Um, So... I, I got back to, I'm digressing, so back to the judging, it's, um, I decided that, I oh, okay, if there's no working on, then I'm going to do um, confirmation judging. So I got onto the, in touch with the breed council to find out how I could do it and what I need to do. And I started that journey probably about, it's probably about, gosh, it must be coming to eight years ago now. Um, slowly progressing, cause Wants no rush, um, and then. And that's in the UK now. That's in the UK, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, I got interested in once I got in in touch with the Bavarian Mountain Society. I then found like, oh, this is what I want to do, and then got onto sort of the training scheme to become a, a tracking judge for the society. Mm. Yeah. So it all started off with what just attending one training day or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you you kind of worked your way up, and you're um, now the chairman of the society. Uh, yes, for my sins, I am. And how many years have you been in that position now? Quite a while, isn't it? Oh, God, longer. It than... must be 
six. When did you step down? <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, I wasn't going to go into that, but yeah, I, I six, honestly can't remember. Ago? Yeah, it must be, must, must be. Time, time, yeah, yeah. Time rushes past. Yeah. So I started as a coordinator for the working side of things. Mm hmm for the society so I was arranging the test days getting judges all organized for the day um, and then from there I moved on to the health role which we then got some new uh, some changes to put in um, so basically with my knowledge with of the KC and my sheer bloody mindedness so we managed to get the health testing testing added to the to the Bavarian Mountain, you know, wow. the breeding. That's quite an achievement. Code of ethics. We updated the code of ethics, um, the rules and regs of the society, just to bring everything up to scratch. And, um, yeah, so... And then I suppose it kind of then landed on me to be the chairman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. So, so going back on the society, it's obviously been going quite a while now. Do you know um, when it was started, and in particular why it was started, why it was formed? It was founded in nineteen eighty-seven, and it was Peter and Ellen Garraway, Steve Coles, Anne Marie Hill, and Nick Crow. And there were a few other Bavarian mountain owners, and the reason why they wanted to form the society, or the it was just a more small group initially of the people, um, is to ensure the working ability of the breed and provide a training for the breed within the UK, um, and then um, it it kind of went from there. Whereas it used to be very kind of just based in Forest of Dean, where everybody was sort of close by. Um, and um, it was literally a group of like-minded people with Bavarians mm -hmm. who wanted to ensure that what they what they have and what their future breeding might involve, it, it includes the working side for the breed, which is important. Um, the society was registered with the Kennel Club in 2008 um, as an official breed, breed society. Um, and basically, as it did then, it does now, um, it just gives anyone with an interest in working their dog and training their dog. Um, it doesn't have to be a Bavarian. It is whatever the, the breed is, can give you the tools to learn how to successfully follow and track wounded large game such as deer, wild boar um, and you also get the opportunity to train your dogs to from novice to to level of competence where you feel comfortable that you can mm. you can do the job if you need to yeah yeah well that, that's great it's, it's good that the society's there to sort of endorse that and, and follow that through yeah so um, the Bavarian, rather than saying Bavarian Mountain Hound all the time, so Bavarian's been around quite a while. Do you have any um, insight into the, the history of the breed and sort of when the, the dog actually sort of developed as a Bavarian Mountain Hound? Well, what I've kind of found with my um, 
invest doing my investigation of the breed is is that it was around eighteen forty eight when there was a revolution against the European monarchs um, in um, Germany and in Europe, basically, and the breakup of the large hunting estates and the replacement of the previous hunting methods by stalking and hiding, i.e. waiting for the game, um, and also the improvement of firearms, you needed a dog that was, its job was basically after the shot, as would have required after the shot. So it was, um, you, you couldn't, it would have to work on a lead. You couldn't dispense a dog. It was with it was loud, um, and paying constantly after the um, um, quarry, and especially in the mountainous regions, it had to be um, a keen and persevering dog. And the Hanoverians were found to be too heavy for that purpose. So they. Um, there was a gentleman called Baron Karg Birbenberg Reichenhall. That's easy for you to say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, he he read uh, read bred the racy and and the lighter mountain scent hound. Now there is this this is not like hundred percent sure was it the red mountain hound or was it there other breeds as well involved but which is more than likely that they were um but it, it happened around sort of 1870 1880 and it was crossed um with hanoverian scent hound mm -hmm. so the the sorry, the thought process is that it was used as a red mountain scent hound was used but there is a possibility that there was other breeds from the mountain regions as well involved and that was basically created the Bavarian mountain scent hound which we see today yeah. and it hasn't changed confirmationally much from those days. So when you're, you're talking about confirmation it's from that I gleaned that the, the breed has got breed standards. Yes yeah and, and I they got, we got the breed standard updated a few years ago with the Kennel Club. Um, and the UK breed standards, the standard is very much close to the original breed standards. Right. And um, set by the FCI, which they get the information from the country of origin. So the breed standard that FCI has is basically come from Germany. Mm -hmm. um, and people in Germany, the Bavarian society, um, has set up the breed standard for FCI. We took it, translated it, and implemented it in, in the UK. So the the breed standards, current breed standards, is very much as close to the German breed standard. So possible. that's one of the main things the society does is try and promote that breed standards yeah. and, and try and get everybody yeah. to kind of ad adhere yeah. to it again yeah. with that i suppose um the the health issue of the breed is something that the society is is big on as well okay time for a short break
Now we have your attention, we'd just like to take a moment to tell you about our range of Garmin dog tracking systems. Garmin is a global company that currently has 80 offices around the world and strives to be the global leader in GPS navigation. And it does this with its compelling designs, superior quality with best value and of course its leading edge technology. We know that when working your dog or just giving it free running exercise, it's essential for its own safety that you know where it is. With a Garmin dog tracking system, you can do just that and be able to keep an eye on your dog or pack up to nine miles away. And what's more, without a mobile phone signal. With the Alpha 200 IK, Garmin have taken dog tracking and training to the next level. It has Garmin's in-reach satellite communication system if needed, which does require a small subscription, and it works with both the old K5 and the new K5X collars, which by the way have tone, vibrate and a collar light, all controlled from the handset. It has a large user-friendly full-colour touchscreen display to view your dog's location and comes pre-installed with topo-active Europe mapping with detailed views of terrain, contour, topographical elevations, summits, parks, coastlines, rivers, lakes and geographical points. And on top of that, it comes with a one-year's free subscription to Garmin Birdseye satellite imagery, which can be downloaded directly to your device using its built-in Wi-Fi. Packed with a list of so many other features that are too long to mention here, but one great one is two-way messaging between other devices that are in range. With an additional subscription as previously mentioned, you have access to an interactive SOS system, plus location sharing and tracking, which is transferred by using the global Iridium satellite network. If mapping is not an essential feature for you and getting back to basics is more your thing, then look no further than the Alpha 10, small, lightweight, with a black and white screen, it clearly shows where and how far your dog or pack is by means of a simple on-screen arrow. And what's more, it has a battery life that can last up to a week. So if you need to keep your dog safe, check out our complete range of systems and accessories at deertrackingservices.co.uk or give us a call to discuss your options. Yeah, there is not many serious health issues within breed. But the main issue is the idiopathic epilepsy, which we've seen is on the rise again. And it, it seems to be, and there's no proof of that, but it seems to be that it's more common in litters that um, close breeding. Mm -hmm. So the parentage, the lines are very close. It seems to be more common in those, but whether that is just a coincidence or or not, um, there's no proof of it. We can't prove it because there's no test for idiopathic epilepsy. Right. Um, but since the start of the society, um, there, it, there's been always a emphasis on trying to identify the lines which have known epileptic litters or they suffer from epilepsy or they passed passed the um condition on and we currently you know we've got a record of these lines we know the lines that do seem to be rife with idiopathic epilepsy and um try to exclude those those lines from any any breeding program i mean we used to do 
with the Animal Health Trust, we had a relationship with them where we would be able to submit swap, uh, DNA swap samples, which is a simple cheek swap, um, from dogs diagnosed with epilepsy of any age and dogs over six years old that were healthy. And we got to about 200 samples and unfortunately Animal Health Trust then um, closed down. But now we are now re-establishing the same scheme and the relationship with the Gen Kennel Club's genetics okay. department. And we've got the first kits from the KC um, Kennel Club genetics department two weeks ago. Um, and to kickstart the program again so we can supply samples to the kennel club. They go to University of Cambridge and uh, they're stored there um, until there is enough samples from both healthy dogs and um, dogs diagnosed with epilepsy um, to hopefully start some sort of research into, into what is causing idiopathic epilepsy because there's so many things that affect it yeah i mean that that's great news that it's yeah. been rekindled and you know you're away again with it yeah. so the epilepsy and and the health of the breed is that is it just confined to uk hounds or does it matter where they come from like internationally from like other areas of europe do, do the hounds over there suffer from the same health issues some some do some don't it seems that there are there are countries where i don't know whether it's because they don't acknowledge the fact mm. or they do, they're not open about the information um that they seem to be no epilepsy exists whereas we know different mm -hmm. um we have a, a very good contact in Poland who she she's collected probably about 40, 60 samples for us from around Poland. Um, we've got a few samples from Italy, got some samples from Finland, Sweden and the USA. Um, so there are there are a lot of um, dogs around the world and he's affecting dogs all all over the world the yeah. Bavarians where where they suffer from idiopathic epilepsy so it is not just common to UK okay so it's any potential buyer or, or someone that wants to get into breed it's something to be aware of and just do your yeah. research really yeah yeah yes definitely they so also do the check um, we don't do the check here but in Scandinavia it's they uh, one of the mandatory tests is hypothyroidism and that test is it has to come back as zero um and wow. if it comes back as one you're not allowed to breed from it you, you cannot breed from that dog um it's just basically a thyroid condition and it's, okay. it's not pretty so yeah, lucky we don't have pra issues or anything um hips aren't too bad but that doesn't mean that people shouldn't be scoring their breeding stock um, to find out because we don't want to be in a situation in 10 years' time when, when there's a lot of dogs with really bad hips and you can't, you can't find stud dogs or decent. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. I mean, 
in reality, if if you don't get your dog hip scored, then you don't have the data, and then mm. you've got no idea of whether it's it's going in a good way or a bad way. Yeah. And it is quite. I personally think it's quite sad state of affairs when you when you think about you have about twelve hundred registered KC registered Bavarians in the country, um, plus the ones who are not registered, and one percent of those dogs are hip scored. Wow, yeah. as little as that. As little as that. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't bode well, does it? No. I guess we're not, or oh, the Bavaria Mountain House Society is not the only society that has those problems. But no, it's, it's still no, not it good isn't. News. No. So uh, I think they're all, 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 all breeds with the, those requirements. They do struggle get the stock tested. So there's there's various channels within the society, and and then I guess moving on that the showing side of the breed is something, and I I guess that helps with breed standards as well. So. Where is the society with the showing side? Is it is an active part of it? It's it's part of it. I mean, the breed moved on to the breed register. Um, so basically, we received a full rec uh, full breed recognition from the Kennel Club as the first of April this year, and the breed moved from AV import register to breed register um, after four. I think it was fourteen years. So does that allow the breed to be involved in more showing work or qualifying? Or Yeah, work? it's basically we're now, um, whereas where you're in an AV import register, you're actually competing against all other breeds like Black and Tan Coon Hounds, um, Azawax, um, and hounds like that. Um, now you're actually competing against the Bavarian um, mm -hmm. So it's Bavarian to Bavarian, and the, my personal opinion is, and that it is a mixed response in the society about the showing and working. In my personal opinion, confirmation is part of your dog's ability to track. If it's not correct, if it's not built correctly, it will break when you're working it. So if if it's if its hips are wrong or it's got weak pastons, front pastons is down, weak wrists, the hound is you it's a ten year commitment and you need to think that will it be able to work for ten years? If it's got sort of let's say structural faults, especially in legs or joints, it won't last you ten years. It will break before that. So Yes, you might not be a show person, or you don't might want to show your dog. But in my <clears throat> in my opinion, the two go hand in hand, mm. and that is something what I I think what we're trying to. The goal is that um, we could actually get a full recognition of the working test of the Smythland test. Um, here in the UK for the breed um, and we're actually the activity, Kennel Club Activities Register or well, Committee, sorry is meeting on, I think it's 12th of July and our proposal should be on the agenda mm -hmm. 
and what that would mean if we get full recognition of the Swison test, it means um, it would become a Casey licensed event, but it would also give a full recognition of the test and there would, therefore there would be an official record of which dog has passed and what they passed. And the end goal is, um, I suppose, if we ever get there, uh, possibly not in my lifetime, but who knows, <laughs> um, that the showing and the working is tied together, like with gun dogs, you cannot become a full champion unless you have passed your working test minimum level one. And also you need to have a show result in order to get your working test Yeah, so it's passed. like a two-part consideration. Two part. So it's not simple, you know, just, oh, I'll go and pass my level one test. Um, you do have to have the confirmational side of it. It doesn't matter. You go mm. enter one show, go in there, get your first, second or third. You don't have to go again. But your dog's been evaluated against its confirmation. Is it fit for function? Can it do a day's work? Mm -hmm. Or is it a um, pet quality dog? Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. Nothing wrong with pet quality dog, but um, if you, if, like, you know, like I said earlier, it has to be fit for function. Well, it is a hound, and it's it's, it's, hound, it's got yeah. its working traits there, which have to be acknowledged. Yeah. If yeah, not, yeah. so that's all all through the kennel club. Mm. Which, I mean, the society's got an amazing committee that yeah. pretty much works really, really hard. So I guess you must have been a big part of the, of the push with the kennel club, and it's a quite relentless. I mean, it's quite a big organisation. It must be difficult and frustrating at times to. Have, got as far as you have with it yeah it's i think you know whatever you think about the kennel club and what your thoughts are and whatever you believe it's at the end of the day they're in charge and in they are the official body mm. for registering puppies and they provide a registration service um, you ha you do need to work with them. You you can't just ignore what's being said by the kennel club. And I, yes, it's it's been hard work. But that that must work both ways because yeah. without you working with the kennel club mm. and going to them and so telling them what as a, you need as a society, mm. you're not going to move forward and you're not no. going to get changes. No, you can't get changes if you if you don't ask. Um, you don't get, and you can't then complain that nothing's being done. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the test current currently the test, the Swison test, is it is recognised by the Kennel Club, and any Bavarian Mountainer that takes the test will get the certificate saying um, it is the test is recognised by the Kennel Club, but it's not fully recognised, therefore there is no official record of your dog. But this this is, we get this one step done and then we look at the next step mm -hmm. and they're moving on and on. It's 
it's kind of like a long-term progress. Yeah, it's impossible than, to get everything done. No, all you can't get everything done. And you've got to remember they... God, I don't even know how many breeds there are in the UK, but they look after them, all of them. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes people have got this misunderstanding about the kennel club as well um is is that they only provide a registration service they don't actually breed the dogs it's the people who breed the dogs yeah kennel club is just there to provide a registration that's a very valid point actually uh, which is probably overlooked a lot yeah they they just offer a registration service Mm. they don't actually breed the dogs so so i mean somebody needs to do it obviously and it's quite important that it's just one organisation that does it. If you was to split that, then it yeah. it just goes to pieces. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 I can definitely. understand that. Definitely. So we've we've touched on tests, which we'll come on to perhaps in a, a minute, because tests are something that are achieved through training, which is something that the society is pretty big on. And the, I believe that the training now and the locations is is quite something within the society you've been quite successful so what does the society offer in the way of training and whereabouts can people attend these days well there's there's a number of training locations across the uk there's one here in thetford where we're sitting now you got one in forest of dean there's one in cannock chase shillingstone harwell junction um, occasional training days in New Forest, um, and then there is the one in Kershaw in, Bo- in the Scottish Borders. The training days are open for all breeds, and all information, including contact details, you can find on our website, um, which is www.bmhs.org.uk we'll, we'll put a link to that in, yeah. in the notes at the um, end so. so the society what you get is if you're a complete novice um, you get one to one training in the beginning of the first times you attend um, to kind of awaken the instinct and it's like motivational track um, and then you move on to do more longer tracks they're aged longer um you get throw some turns into it um and when you progress further and further you you do you do actually do like 24 uh, tracks aged for 24 hours etc we also arrange test days they can take either a swiceland level one or two test um, Can you explain the, the differences between the two and what people have to achieve to, to qualify for those? Yeah, so um, the Spiceland Level 1 is kind of like an aptitude test. It's very simple. Um, it's a 400-metre track, um, and it has two 90-degree turns. It's aged up to 50... Oh, sorry, five hours, not 50 hours. <laughs> five hours. Um and it has got 100 mil, 100 mil blood used on it. It's okay. cl- made by Cleves, um, using tracking shoes. And it is, it is kind of like um, an aptitude test to, kind of do, to show the ability of the dog that they, they can do the job. You is can it, also take an ab, um, optional trace trail. Okay. Is there a time limit on that, that the dogs? Um, 
it is 45 minutes mm-hmm. um, to take that track and then a further 10 minutes to do if you do the optional chase trail to do oh, the I chase see. trail okay. at the end. Is, is there anything else involved in that test other than tracking? Yeah, you need to do um, a basic obedience. Um, there's five minutes sit and stay, um, 30 metres away, I think it was. Um, and you have controlled walk uh, with two left turns and two right hand turns. Mm. Um, and um, it's just basic in a sense that if you're in a stalking environment that the dog doesn't hinder your stalking it can move nicely oh, I see. along yeah. the lead mm-hmm. uh, along the path um the control walking's done at different paces depending you know obviously you might be walking when you're stalking you might be going fast or slow or mm-hmm. sort of separate um you know different speeds but it's um, it is just literally a basic obedience that your dog is under control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just like yeah, like you say, it is a good aptitude test to mm. to judge how well the dog's doing and yeah. it's kind of literally doing what the breed was designed for, or, or at least it has it within its capabilities. Yeah. So that's the level one, and then you mentioned the level two, which I guess is a lot more extreme. It perhaps. is more complicated. Um, the track is up to 1,000 metres long. Um, it's Again, it's got two 90-degree turns. It's got two wound beds, but they can be anywhere along the track. Um, and then you have a 20-metre track back. Mm-hmm. Um, the track is aged between 16 to 24 hours. And there's an optional trace trail of 300 metres. Um, if you if if you prefer to take it, that one has got one one ninety degree turn. The obedience side on that is um, it is a ten minute sit and stay with the handler hundred meters away, and three shots are fired um, to sort of demonstrate the shot steadiness mm-hmm. of the dog um, during that 10 minute period and the dog has to stay there for 10 minutes the handle is out of sight um, and that is the pass or fail yes, yeah. there's so no... that, that really is a test that someone has to practice and train yes, for yeah you, you can't because on the level one this 10 minute uh, the, uh, ten, to sit and stay is you know, you get points if you stay one minute or two minutes or three minutes, you mm-hmm. get points. But mm-hmm. on level two, it is literally, it's a pass or fail. Pass or fail. Yeah. So yeah. you do have to practice for so it. A lot train. more serious. Yeah. For the dedicated handler, really. And yeah. So team. you do have to, you have to train for it. You can't just wing it. <laughs> and you do, you you know, it counts towards the points at the end. Yeah. Um, and like with the with the chase trail and the wound beds on and the backtrack on level two, um, your dog's performance is scored. So if you find both of the wound beds, you do get extra points. If you complete the track back, you do extra points. Oh, really? If you complete the chase trail, you get extra points. And you have it helps if your obedience isn't up to scratch it helps you to 
achieve the required so if you're really really power. strong at you know, yeah the important parts yeah it, yeah. it helps you get through yeah uh, that's great so um we've t we've talked we mentioned the training um earlier and the locations so how often do these training days um take place and also uh, with the tests how how often can they be done each year yeah so the training usually in in each location um it's usually about once a month um sometimes there might be two two a month depending on the training officer and their their time because everybody is when well, all the training officers it's their they volunteer in their own free time to arrange the training days so we're totally unreliant on on these people um doing the great job um so but generally it is once once a month in in locations restrictions obviously during crowdness in birds and etc mm. we have to respect um because we do work with with the forestry england and um tests we try to arrange tests in the spring so you up to sort of let's say from march to may and then from august almost to december time we, there is the minimum requirement of candidates to attend so you can you can have up to six level ones in one test day um, and two, Oh, I see, like six people attending. Yeah, six, as it works. six yeah. dogs attending um, and two level twos just because of time constraints mm. of um, involving or doing the tracks. Takes, it takes a lot of organisation. And judging, yeah. judging, I guess, is an important part of the society. And I think, I guess you have a or know that you do have some kind of training yeah. scheme for judges so you, people just can't come along and say oh i'm going to judge they have to no they have to they have to um pass certain requirements so each judge or candidate who wants to come along and learn learn how to judge the tracks you have to basically get in touch with myself mm -hmm. or any training officer of the society to kind of put your name forward you then have to judge um five colson tracks which are the um main main tracks that doug does um five hot scents which are the chase trails you also need to attend a judging seminar um and pass a test um a written test is a simple just test of your understanding what being discussed um and preferably own a dog it doesn't have to be a bavarian mountain hound but it can be any any breed that has taken and passed a level one test if that is not possible you can still be passed to um judge the track the tests by being assessed by somebody a, a, a qualified judge so you'll be assessed judging a track i guess all of this is so that the, the candidate actually has a, a good understanding yeah. of what's involved and what can go wrong and what to look for yeah yeah and that we all 
judge the tracks mm. the same way. Mm. So, you know, we don't, just, one doesn't go, oh, well, that's fine. And yeah. the other the other just go, no, they can't do that. Consistency, which leads to fairness. So. Yeah, and fair to all the candidates. Mm. So, I, I guess um, there's quite a few people out there looking for puppies and, and want to purchase a Bavarian. Um, what recommendations do you have for people trying to find one and how do they get one and, and anything specifically that they should look for? Um, I mean, it's, it's like with any, any puppy, if you're buying a puppy, you do need to do your homework. Um, it's a, it can be a 14, 15 year old year commitment mm. with that dog. So you, A, you need to find out is a Bavarian a breed for you? Can you give <laughs> to, can you give the breed, um, what they need? Um, they're not, there are very few well-bred Bavarian litters in the UK born every year. Um, and any of these litters will be, that meet the requirements, they will be advertised on our website. But the main thing is to look at it always, if you're thinking of getting a Bavarian, you've done your homework, you decide that, okay, that is the breed for me, I'm going to go for a Bavarian. Um, and you always, always, always do the health checks, um, mm -hmm. check that the health checks are being done, and the breeder can provide proof of this. And what I personally think is very important is see the pups with their mum. See how they interact with their mum, with you, with the other people in the household, with any other dogs in the household, with strangers as like you going in the house. And I always say to any, anybody looking for a puppy that always remember that the puppy spends the first nine weeks of his life with his dam and it will pick up traits from her. If the dam is nervous and is squittish, skittish and is maybe aggressive or anxious, that will imprint to the puppy. Mm -hmm. And that is what you're going to get. And yes, you can detrain some of those traits um, later on, but that initial imprint is always there. Um, when you do it and the other thing with Bavarians being the breed as it is um, and the society wanted to maintain the working ability of the breed have check if the parents have taken or passed the minimum level one test which is it's a simple test any working Bavarian and even non-working Bavarian should able to be pass should able to pass it. There's there's a lot of breeders in the UK that say, "Oh, uh, my hound stalks with me, so I, I don't need any proof of its capability of being, you know, able to track down deer." Um, yes, possibly that is true, but quite often what I've seen is that the hound sits at the bottom of a high seat. The stalker takes a shot. The deer drops 50 metres away from where the dog is seated. It tracks it down 50 metres. Mm. 
it's not finding something that's been shot run off and needs to be tracked for three hours yeah so really what you're describing is more the dog could potentially be more of a stalking companion yeah than a, a dog that has a good ability to track yeah because yeah. there could be a situation where um you miss this miss a shot misplace a shot and it can hop along with you know three legs hops on it goes a long way mm. And you might have to spend two, three hours trying to find it. Yeah. And that's the difference between can your hound work or is it just there to go and, well, yeah, it's mm. there. Um, so, so really basically just do your research and, yeah. and look into it as best you possibly can. Yeah. Show due, due yeah. diligence, really. Yeah. So, I mean, really leading on from that, if people want a Bavarian and they're willing to then rescue i guess is uh, an option which is something the society does yeah yeah we've got um claire russell um she is in charge of our rescue arm um her contact details again are on the website she is um she has rehomed re quite a few bavarians very successfully during her time as as our rescue coordinator and she's always on a lookout for foster homes mm -hmm. or people who can um, offer a home for a, for a rescue Bavarian. Um, she's very good at assessing people and what their requirements are as a, as a, you know, would this hound actually suit that person or would it be better off going to that home or that home? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so if you can, if you can offer a, a foster home or a, or a more permanent home to a rescue, then yes, please get in touch with Claire. Yeah, that, that'll be great. Yeah. It'd, it'd really yeah. help out, yeah. wouldn't it? So if, if they are interested and they want to go down that route, is there a, a, like a vetting program that they have to, you know, yeah. go through? Yeah. So each candidate, um, they have to fill in a form. So anybody who, who raises interest of mm -hmm. taking on a rescue, they they fill in a form. Um, if then one comes available that Claire and, um, you know, us lot giving, uh, we think it might be a suitable home for this hound, then uh, we do a home check. Um, I mean, we did one during the lockdown um, via zoom literally right yeah why not yeah so um it was quite interesting but it was yeah good to worked. see the house we're yeah. going to see the gardens we're going to see everything so it was actually it it was in some ways it was better than it was being there in person because you don't really want to wander around somebody's house yeah. the private house but you do the necessary checks to meet that to make sure that they mm. actually meets the requirements where the dot hound is going um, the hounds that come into rescue, we do get them now assessed of their suitability of um, where they are going because there are some some Bavarians that you can't you can't home with children, you can't home with other dogs, or you you know if you have children they've got to be teenagers or you know older, yeah. so you can't just um, 
you, you can't take an approach where one one size fits yeah. all. They, they have they to have be to matched be, to the new They have heart. to be matched, yeah. yeah. And you don't give an active ex uh, working dogs to a retired couple. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> so, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can see why. Yeah. Well, that's terrific. So what what we'll do is we'll we'll put some links to the various parts of the society and in particular the rescue in the, yeah. the notes yeah. podcast okay. notes at the beginning so people can have a look there or go straight to the website and again we'll put that in the notes at the bottom so that's terrific that just about wraps us up Mina I uh, th just like to thank you ever so much for giving that insight into the society um, with frank and honest opinions and um, more importantly just letting people know all about it and more about the breed it's terrific yeah, so thank brilliant. you very much thank you thank you for inviting me yeah uh, no problem and great. i wish you continued success as chairman you're doing a grand <laughs> job thank you <laughs> thanks thank very you. much Mina. thank you so once again thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode so you don't miss out on any of our future shows depending on what platform you're using Please like, share, follow, add to your favourites or subscribe to our shows. And don't forget, in our episode notes, there is a link to send a voice message. Although available on many platforms, all of this is so easy if you open a free account at anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. And to find out more about us, what we do and our training days and products, please check out our website at deertrackingservices.co.uk.